Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, good morning. Good Arab Shabbos. Rumor has it that the President of the United States is going to be in an Orthodox Jewish home this Arab Shabbos. That's the rumor. He will be at an event in an Orthodox Jewish home in Baltimore. And I want to know how that works. Like, what happens if he's late and it's time to go to shul? What happens? You've been in these situations. Oh, they will be in that situation, uh, and the uh, we've seen it many times. So you prepare for all alternatives, which I know has been the case, but the event was moved up in order to finish uh, before Shabbos. It's a fundraiser for uh, some senators, and uh, the host is a very active uh, Jew, active in many uh, Orthodox and uh, general Jewish causes. Does the fact that it's Erev Shabbos in any way affect the menu? Do you get more the Shabbos-like items being served as opposed to if it was a Monday or a Tuesday night? Yeah, I was told it's called chilling with the president, but <laughs> I don't know if we can verify. You see, these are the type of details I like. Forget about ISIS. This is what I want to know about. No, they're not serving any ISIS. <laughs> I want to know what's happening with the president of the United States in an Orthodox home on uh, on a Friday afternoon. Now, you you probably have a million Friday afternoon stories with Washington, right? You've probably been standing at a 100 meetings in your career where you said to yourself, could this thing end already? i got to either make this plane or, or get to where I need to, to go in terms of just starting Shabbos. I've had to walk out on many meetings over many years uh, in order to uh, to get home and, or, as you said, to wherever for Shabbos. But uh, as a rule, I try not to go and, and, and let the host know why it, it would be very difficult. And I have to say that today, White House, others are, are much more sensitive to it and wouldn't make uh, a meeting unless an emergency on a Friday afternoon. All right, so the president knows that no one's sticking around after 7 o'clock tonight. Oh, yes, he knows <laughs> that, uh, well, it's not only Orthodox people coming. Right, I understand. He has to get to shul with the host, I guess, uh, right. on time. All right, so you know I could discuss this all morning, right? I, I'm, yes, I'm <laughs> You're aware that I love all these details. Uh, all right, so here we go. Are you happy or not? And, of course, please explain with the response of the President of the United States to what's happening in the Middle East. Well, I don't think the speech had enough clarity in terms of uh, what he really intends to do and how far they will go. The the mess the, the key thing is how did was it heard in the Middle East and and how will it be implemented, and I don't think for our enemies in the Middle East it is uh, clear enough yet that it was an important step forward it was an important uh, effort to build a coalition, and we see the mixed reactions where the Brits uh, first foreign minister said that they would not put planes on then the Cameron said well that they would. Uh, I see that uh, Germany and others, France, they're all limiting what it is that they're willing to do. We have to see what the Arab countries, who yesterday committed to the process, will actually do. Will they put the boots on the ground? And as uh, someone said, when they keep saying there'll be no boots on the ground, they said they're going to wear flip-flops <laughs> because we're, we will have a 1,000 troops there and we'll have to continue to augment that. There's talk of building an airport in Erbil to where will our planes land? Will they take off? countries that are refusing the permission, uh, I'm sure that this row, right. we see the growth of ISA officials was 30,000, others say 20,000, that they're in 32 countries, according to the Long War Journal, 11 European countries alone, let alone Canada, Australia, of course the U.S., and the, um, 
uh, you know, the the uh, spread of these different groups that are affiliates of it and the collapse of the entire system. You know, the president cited Yemen and Somalia as, as examples, which is a little surprising because both countries are near collapse or in collapse and, and certainly where the extremists are on the ascendancy, it's a very these are very critical areas and I think he was perhaps referring to the targeted strikes by drones as having been successful as one method of doing it. I, I, that's what I assume because the uh, I spoke to people in Sana, the capital of, of Yemen this week, and they told me that the, the Houthis, who are backed by Iran, I've discussed on the show before, uh, who, who were in the north of Yemen fighting Saudi Arabia. This was the proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia often bombed the borders and got very little attention. Now they are demonstrating in the capital for the overthrow of the government. And on the other side, you have the tribal groups in Yemen. Yemen is a tribal society, aside from the north-south division, and they are our Muslim Brotherhood. So you could end up with a civil war between Muslim Brotherhood and, and Iran, back the forces, or you could have a division of the country. But remember, they control the straits. And I know this may be uh, seem like too much detail, yep. but the implication is so great. They control, control Babel Mandab. On the other side of the straits is Somalia. So having extremist Islamists on both sides could affect the shipping for a, a very significant part of oil, all, all the oil that comes out of the Persian Gulf. It just seems like it, it, it seems like there's too much. It seems like it's gotten to too many countries that the IS control is spreading so fast and so far. The numbers seem to be insurmountable compared to the old-fashioned Al-Qaeda numbers when it comes to the number of people that are involved. It, it just, it, 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 I don't know, does the United States have enough firepower to fend this off? Well, we have enough firepower. The question is, who, who do we align with? You know, Iran and Syria are angry that they're not part of the coalition, yet at the same time say that if you strike in Syria, this will be a set of sparks that will engulf the region. Uh, that was what they said just uh, yesterday again. Uh, you see how the radicalization, as you say, of, of increasing uh, segments, and even the Islamist groups, the jihadist groups, are becoming uh, more extreme, following the example and the success, as it appears, of uh, IS, ISIS, ISAL, it's all the same group, um, to, to recruit by virtue of the beheadings. So now in Sinai they talk about beheadings, in Yemen they talk about beheadings, and many other places there seems to be a competition going on about, uh, about this because they see that rather than creating a revulsion to, to uh, w- what they are, then it, it is creating more attraction uh, for for young people. Yeah, but is my is my premise correct that the numbers are way beyond what it was just a few years ago? It's way beyond where it was a year ago, and it's way beyond where it was six months ago. And and more and more of these groups are uh, are recruiting, and also people feel that there there are are no real prices to pay. You know, we, we, the president cited the chemical weapons in Syria as a success, and yet the same day we get a report that chemical weapons, and particularly chlorine, were used against villages. The, the report, you know, ended in, in the fall, in the spring, so up to April, that they were still using again, and this was the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, not a, a neutral group, 
uh, and they said repeatedly and systematically using uh, chemical weapons. So all of the things that we talk about, I mean, they're just no limits. So one second, the president of Syria, for instance, is he? Is he's he's against ISIS, correct? The president of Syria is against ISIS. Okay, but aren't they aligned? Aren't they from the same religious background? Are they just? Aren't they just more radicalized than he is? They are uh, far more radicalized, and and there are common factors that come into play with uh, uh, and so so they are ended up also fighting Hezbollah, and they fight, and Iran is fighting. Uh, ISIS. But one second, so just using Assad as an example, he has a crazy balancing act, because he has oh. a civil war going on against the rebels, right? Right. That's number one. And on the other side, he's got to fight off the radicals. Yes, but the radicals are part of the rebel uh, of the rebel forces trying to overthrow his government. But I, I, ISIS has always been part of that. They emerged out of that. When al-Qaeda went down, they came up. I always thought the rebels were Shiite. They are. They are Shia. Now, first of all, there are Sunnis who are fighting as well, and you have Kurds who are fighting, and you have Druze who are fighting. It's what I explained to you that that not, first of all, none of this breaks down into into neat parties like the Houthis that I mentioned. They are Zaidi Shiites who uh, who are are being used. Uh, and the, and by the way, groups have different names or merged with uh, uh, different names over time. Right, but just so I understand, so Sunni and Shiites in Syria who are at odds with each other, and the rebels uh, are also can also both be fighting against, right in other words uh, in other words the rebels essentially came right were basically sunni background correct right so they excuse me were shiite background right weren't the rebels of originally shiite background most of them were shiite, were shiite background. They had radical sunni so now anybody could become a radical and somebody right anybody from any background could become a radical and now assad is is essentially fighting every enemy that has popped up in the last couple of years, whether it be with the consistent support of Hezbollah, right? Whether it be a Shiite, standard rebel Shiite, with the support of Iran, with the uh, and against uh, all these Sunni groups, which is includes IS. But so it, it it comes down. I'm I you know it's so confusing, but it comes down to basically you know standardized governments against radical Islam. Is that what's basically like Iran? No. Iran is then why are they aligned with Syria? Why are Iran and Syria fighting the same enemy then? Well, but Iran has made a huge investment in uh, in Syria and sees it as the, an element of control for them because that's part of their goal to control the region. And it's the same reason why Turkey originally aligned with uh, was aligned with Assad and Syria because it served their goal. Even though they're, they're the Sunni, they want to be the Sunni leaders. The um, IS's method, for instance, is first to go into ethnic cleansing, right. then they do force everybody into this Islamist mode where, where in the whole the areas they control, for instance, you can't teach art, history, philosophy, nothing. Then they, they totally dominate uh, uh, the people. And they put, uh, and then they look for succession about how you, you take control over uh, ever-growing areas. They, they don't talk about the word Syria. You're not allowed to mention Syria. As if there's no state of Syria. Exactly, as if there is no state. That's exactly. There's only an Islamic state. There, there and will it, be the caliphate. Right. And that will be Which dominated is by their religious philosophy. Spreading through every Arab, and they would say Israeli, area of the Middle East. Spreading through every area. And, uh, and now we look at how many countries are facing this kind of, uh, uh, of uh, effort. So every government... One of the UAA officials said this in a speech the other day where he cited how many uh, countries he said they called for a unified effort against Iraq, Syria, Yemen, Libya, Somalia, Afghanistan. 
because these are all countries facing the, the rise of these uh, extremists. And then you have to think about how does it that IS is able to export oil, because it's one of their major sources of income. They control the Raqqa oil fields in Syria. They control oil production areas in I- Iraq. So Turkish officials, Syrian officials, others are cooperating with them in order to enable them to export this, uh, this fuel, which is one of the things that has to be stopped if we want to really cut them off, is to go after their source of funding, though they have a, a, a lot of money and uh, uh, to, to be able to sustain themselves from all these kidnappings and stuff, yield big amounts of money. They're constantly collecting um, money from people to, to redeem those that they have captured. So behind closed doors are the leaders of Syria and Iran, and Iraq obviously, happy that the United States is ready to take on ISIS and is doing and, 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 is, and has already started you know, military operations against them. They don't want to see an American presence and because they don't know where it leads, they don't know when it can be turned against them. It limits their ability to, to operate in some instances. Uh, but again, we have such a limited presence. We're in the air, not on the ground. Right, correct. Um, so it's, it's a mixed uh, story about how much do they really fear um, uh, this, but, but the ramifications of it and the, the very uncertainty is, is part of the problem. Um, and, and we're going to see it, by the way, in stuff that's going to take place to the UN, which we'll talk about with the Palestinians. But also in the war talk with Hamas again, we see it in manifested in so many secondary and tertiary ways that the, the ramifications of this are, are, are severe and lost. It's lost on the media. It's lost in the way that the issues are presented. When you watch network tel- or any of the, uh, of the news channels, they, they always have this map that shows you where ISIS has started to dominate. You know, the red lines that continue to grow right. throughout the region. I mean... How does one even keep track of where they are at this point? Because this, it's not like they have an address, right? It's not like they, it's not like they have an established uh, location. They're not, they're not, you know, they're not a, uh, a um, temporary government. Do they? Uh, well, first of all, there are no boundaries. That is right, exactly. Bases, but for instance, today there are no boundaries for Syria. Syria has no borders, so. The, so, the, so what do the red lines mean? It means areas that they've literally taken over. They have men sitting there, and this is where they control the boundaries of those areas. Uh, and remember that, uh, for instance, the Kurds have taken over a huge area into Iraq again. And don't forget, they go into Iran and they go into other countries. And the question, of course, that will be um, will be coming up is what happens with them? Do they get a state? Uh, their fighters seem to be the only ones who have the courage to really do something serious. And um, uh, so it's, it is a very murky thing. It's very hard to explain to people because right. you're not talking about what we traditionally... Oh, that's for sure. Yeah, it's, say it's, is, uh, ...is a state, etc. Yeah, it's not easy with a standard map. Um, so the, the leaders, the governments, the, the elected, quote-unquote, governments of Iran and Syria, how do they... How how are they um, preparing, you know, to defend themselves against complete takeover? I mean, aren't they must be very concerned that uh, that these rebels, ISIS, who have shown the world that they're willing to do anything to take control, are going to get completely out of hand and, and take over their government? They are very concerned that ISIS's goal, which is, and that's why they've moved from 
uh, ISIL, which is Iraq and Libya, ISIS, which is Iraq and Syria, to IS, which is an Islamic state. And that's right. why some people, many people don't use the term because they don't acknowledge that there is, it exists or that that is, uh, that is a legitimate goal, which it is not. Uh, but the countries, the established government, there isn't any. Lebanon, the fear is that Lebanon could be next, and the attack on Arsol on the border, which uh, was repelled, but it, one of the commanders said, had we not succeeded, we would have been, they would have been on the coast, meaning the uh, uh, IS would have been on the coast of, of the Mediterranean in, in Lebanon. So you, you have uh, a Jordan being on the really on the chopping block, according to most estimates, as the primary uh, potential target for all of this. You have, uh, as I said, as far as Yemen and, and many other countries where which will, will come under uh, the gun. We know that in the Central Asian Muslim countries are very much afraid of, uh, of what they will do. So um, I think that that any question is a legitimate one when it comes to this stuff, because you have even within the groups, within the Sunni, within right. Shiites, you have the battles that are going on right. uh, between them. And, uh, and there's also concerns, for instance, of IS being attractive to, to Israeli Arabs. Oh, my gosh. It, 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 just give me a second. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web. JMNAM.org. But that shouldn't surprise anybody, and I, I just caught myself. Why should it surprise me? Look at the recruiting job they're doing around the entire globe with kids from democratic countries. And by the way, that seems to be, unless it's just an impression from the media, that seems to be the difference between them and what Al-Qaeda was at the beginning. The recruiting seems to be much more broad, and they're attracting people from everywhere. It is true, and they have more resources, uh, it seems. But remember that ISIS is an outgrowth of al-Qaeda. It was rebranded right. in 2006 as the Islamic State in Iraq and... Right, but they're doing al-Qaeda They're doing al -Qaeda better than al-Qaeda. Pardon me? They're doing al-Qaeda better than al-Qaeda. They do al-Qaeda much better, much more radical, more extreme. Al-Qaeda didn't necessarily look to take over territory. These guys are much more territorially oriented. And remember that al-Qaeda at that time changed its name only to the Islamic State in Iraq. Right. And then that grew to Islamic State in the Iraq and Syria, Islamic State in Lebanon, etc. Right. And they exploit the the um, feeling amongst many Sunnis that they were being persecuted by the Shiite uh, government of Maliki, and in in Iraq's case, and they um, uh, and that's why, of course, they they fought in, in in Syria. So they exploit the feelings of the Sunnis. They make themselves the defenders of of uh, Sunni, which is the majority in, in Islam and are able to recruit on that basis and and fundamentally and if you remember as soon as this thing broke out the islamic uh, the spring the arab spring as they called it the arab volcano mm -hmm. said you will never understand this if you don't see it as the divide between sunnis and shiites right. this is a thousand-year-old battle amongst right. several other factors that's the only thing that's becoming a little more clearer to me um and, it, it, and they and they have an endless recruiting ground of sunnis and that's why they can recruit in paris they can recruit everywhere right the common fight. Um, no other administration would have handled it differently. Right? I mean, standard administrations. For instance, you know, if the Republicans were in the White House, I mean, nobody would have would have done anything different. I mean, many know that. Uh, you know, many have pointed out that President Obama ran on you know leaving Iraq and leaving the area, letting the troops come home and all that. But th there's no choice at this point, no matter who's in the White House, right? 
well, this is not a Republican-Democrat issue. This is not Congress or, or, or uh, administration. This started 20 years ago. It was ignored too often, both in terms specifically of Iran, for instance, or the growth of, of terrorist organizations, or the way the Europeans have failed within their own borders. And we face the threat now within, a, and you see the numbers that are coming out that I warned about for the last two years on the show, talking about how many Europeans are fighting there, how many people right. are, who, who are coming back, and some of whom have already come back. And when they took Fallujah in January, which is just west of Baghdad, we could have worked together with the tribal leaders. We could have um, uh, uh, taken away the, the, the air supply from them, so they go after their Sunni brothers and sisters. And the West allowed them to put their black flag over this. That could have been, that should have been the line in the sand. We should have stopped them then. And, and they just, and we could have cut off their supply routes from Syria. We could have done with many, much more minimal actions, but they're ten times where the number they were last year for sure, and that was ten times where they were the year before. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the threat is so great, the United States has no choice. Again, emphasizing, I, I, I believe no matter who is uh, in the White House. Um, what do you think of this uh, proposal that came out of Egypt that the PA should have its own state in the Sinai Desert? Nobody is substantiating that it's true. So I, I, when there's no follow-up, and it's uh, it's not going to happen. They were, they were saying that you extend Gaza into the Sinai. Right. would have given them, I forgot how many, 365,000 square meters. That's a lot of land, right? It's a very significant amount of land, uh, but it's, it was a non-starter, I think, from, uh, from the beginning. But and but again, nobody is is really claiming credit or saying that that it was uh, legitimate. But we're seeing also in the Sinai the same uh, fights, by the way, and the reports of the presence of IS there. Uh, I think that uh, CC has done a, a very good job in trying to to contain it. But uh, we see that the presence is is everywhere. Uh, and the prime minister's reaction to what's going on, I'm assuming he's 100 percent behind whatever coalition is fighting ISIS, right? And, and Israel's providing uh, satellite photos and other intelligence. Israel's satellites go over a place like Iraq in a different, from different angles, and they're able to present different information. They also have higher resolution in some places. So Israel is able to um, provide information to the United States and its allies. Uh, it's scrubbed of any identification from Israel, so nobody should uh, accuse it. But, um, yes, Israel is very worried, and they're worried also because we see renewed talk of, of uh, violence from Hamas. Right. The uh, escalating uh, rhetoric is always taken uh, seriously. The, the milit so-called military wing of Hamas said that if uh, there's no change by September 25th, I think that rockets would again fly, and uh, there's no reconstruction really going on in, in Gaza, and they have not paid the Hamas salaries. Uh, and Abbas is saying that he will split and break up the the unity regime, and um, it, it'll be very interesting to see if uh, what, what will happen in the next couple of days. What we have seen is that although the uh, you know rockets stop flying, the violence in Israel, especially in Jerusalem, is is much more severe. It's it's probably at, a, at one of the highest uh, numbers of incidents, rock throwing, other things. Uh, Molotov cocktails that we've seen in a in a long time. Yeah, well. and then of course the situation in the north where Israel is looking for tunnels. There was reports of cement trucks in inordinate numbers being in certain regions. So Israel learned its lesson from uh, 
uh, Gaza to to check it out and to see that uh, that they're not being leaked, although the topography is is different there. There was actually a rocket up north yesterday, right here at Shimona, I think it was. It was a false alarm. Oh, it was not a real uh, hit. It was not a real. It was a false alarm. Um, all right, we wanted to discuss the United Nations. It's coming up, and you and you alluded to not just ISIS, but that the uh, PA. It sounds like from uh, what you said earlier is going to be involved in something as well. What's going on? Well, ISIS will be a major subject and will divert attention, which is adding to the frustrations of Abbas. I think that, you know, this issue that the war is over and nobody's paying attention um, because uh, of the other issues that are um, are at the forefront. And he is threatening now uh, several things. One is that they go to the International Criminal Court. They said if there's no progress, and he wants Israel to begin negotiating on the borders first, before security, before everything else, and as you know, that was not the order that was agreed upon, and that was not the way it was to be done. Uh, but he is trying to force the issue, uh, we believe, because he wants the talks to break down. He does not want Kerry to mediate the talks over the United States. He wants the U.N., because he doesn't want to negotiate. He wants things delivered. And he, they, they are threatening a worldwide campaign, which we, you know will feed into the delegitimization efforts and the anti-Israel manifestations, uh, as they said, they want to paint it like South Africa and isolate it like uh, South Africa was. That, that will not happen. But they could create uh, bosses supposedly coming to the U.N. General Assembly. And from what I heard from even Arab ambassadors, they're expecting it will uh, launch anything that then they will go with the um, cr- uh, crime, uh, you know, war crimes charges. Uh, against Israel at the international court. I know that a lot of people, uh, well, as you just described, Abbas, and I'm sure others are frustrated that the Secretary of State is preoccupied with ISIS, but I don't know, that could, that could be a good thing for Israel, right? Yeah, Israel, <laughs> there's nothing, there's no one to negotiate with. Abbas, right. if you look at the latest polls, does not enjoy a majority. Hamas beats Fatah and, and Ania beats uh, Abbas with 61%, so it's essentially two to one. Uh, and so since the Gulf War, it's not a good sign, but it's, it's certainly a reality that uh, Abbas has very limited power and, and his ability to deliver is questionable, but also his willingness to really sit down and negotiate seriously. Perhaps the split with, uh, with uh, Hamas will, um, will escalate that, but right now it's certainly at best a very murky situation. But there, and, and then he avoids the negotiations and the demands on him to make concession, and the United States has warned him against making any kind of unilateral move and, and said it would cut off funding. Congress has warned him. The administration has been very strong on this mm. in their messages to him. Uh, and yet, he's always put his interests above that of the, his people and the, the political maneuverings, uh, which we may see again. Yeah, you mentioned, uh, you always told us about al-Qaeda and, it ha- and terror allies that it had both, you know, in Africa, South America, etc. I'd, I'd assume, just based on the discussion we had regarding the, you know, the volume of, uh, you know, the number of people, the volume of uh, of um, of uh, adherents that are uh, helping out uh, and, and joining uh, ISIS, that that's still the case, that they have uh, terror allies in both of those continents. They have in both the continents. And by the way, uh, ISIS... Uh, is mobilizing the Sunnis in, in the West Bank, too. There's belief that, you know, that they have attracted support. And, of course, as I said before, Jordan is, is a major uh, concern, and the U.S. has uh, tried to bolster the king, as is Israel, even more importantly, perhaps in some regards, as a neighbor. 
but the uh, you know the revulsion that one would have thought would greet all of this, and and we see it amongst the American people who have inverted the numbers from last year about the readiness to support action against uh, against ISIS against Syria for U.S. bombing involvements. I don't think they want to see in, uh, troops on the ground in the same way as before. But the very fact that those numbers have literally inverted from uh, 60% now support and 13% are against military action, yeah. uh, I think is is a reflection that they that the Americans get it. We don't see the same kind of reaction in Europe. We don't see it in the rest of the world. And I know I keep going back to this, but it's just so hard to keep track of the coalitions. So Hamas, who's always been aligned with with formal Iran, right, with the with the real government, so to speak, in Iran, and we've always said that they are a proxy, that Iran controls what what goes on in Gaza, for instance. So they are considered an ISIS ally or not? Uh, Hamas is not ISIS. But, uh, but Hamas is, uh, is also Sunni, and they, and you see how a Shiite Iran can support a Sunni Hamas if it serves their purposes. Right. They split over the fact that Hamas did not support Assad, uh, when he uh, went into the Palestinian camps in Syria. They came out and were critical and divided with him. So Iran punished them by cutting back with some of the funding, but they're, they are now claiming that they are doing all this training and helping them to, to rearm and, threatening that they will arm also people in the West Bank. So the divides are crossed when it serves their purposes. And you also have to look at the tribal divisions. You have to look at other factors that uh, uh, characterize the the, legitim- the the loyalties of people, uh, which can cross very many barriers and, and divide and unite them at the same time. Uh, and finally, and I'll give you the last word, <clears throat> I'm sure there's a million things we didn't get to, but Russia, uh, Russia looks on, and we, you know, again, as casual observers, not uh, me as a casual observer of this entire scene, wonders what they think of the ISIS infiltration in that area of the world. What is the Putin reaction to all of this? Well, as you know, he's been backing Assad, and he is very much against ISIS because of the threat in Chechnya, and you have hundreds of Chechnyans fighting in Syria. Uh, the... Um, uh, Chechnyans, by the way, uh, are in Ukraine as mercenaries and have been involved in some of the demonstrations against the government, which is an aside. Um, the, so uh, for Putin, who has a very, very large Muslim population and who are very prominent within the military, is very concerned about Islamist fundamentalism. He killed tens of thousands of people in Chechnya over it. So the, the, uh, for him, this is a very serious issue as well. But it's also part of his standoff against the West, standoff against the United States. It's related to what happens, obviously, in the Ukraine, what happens in other parts of, of the region. Other countries are afraid now of, of incidents. You know, you have this kidnapping, I think it was an Estonian, uh, and the people are demanding that they, they return him. It's, it, you know, he's taking advantage on the one hand of this. It's not benefiting Russia. It's not going to help them. They need stability helps them as well. But the uh, but he is uh, he has thrown his lot in with them. You know you know what yesterday was, and the new poll says that Americans feel less safe now than any other time since nine eleven. You think there's reason to feel that way? I do, and uh, without creating panic and without people saying that this is extreme. And believe me, if you knew other things that I would tell people about what goes on, what's happening in in. Um, some of the European countries, and you saw that Greece, by the way, enacted legislation against Holocaust denial and against hate speech, 
very strong penalties. This is to fight the neo-Nazi uh, Golden Dawn Party there, which has more and more been public. And you see in Europe the Quinell, the, the swastika-like symbols. Um, Michael Gove, who was the former Minister of Education, he's a British conservative uh, leader, uh, he said that the boycott of Israeli goods as practiced in Europe is anti-Semitism. It's a new ink anti-Semitism. Right. And he talked about a five-fold increase of anti-Semitic incidents in, the, in Great Britain alone. France more than doubled over the summer the number of incidents, and you know it wasn't small before. So if people say, are they concerned? Are they concerned about hundreds, if not thousands, of people coming back to to live with European and American passports, who are trained killers, who have been indoctrinated in this terrible hatred? It is certainly something that everyone should be aware of and be concerned. But I think the irony is that someone just uh, showed me that 366 Syrians have made it to Israel to be treated. A young boy bicycled from Damascus in very serious condition in the end um, to, to get treated in Israel. The Irish troops were rescued, uh, UNIFIL troops, UN troops in Lebanon, were rescued because Israel intervened, you know, gave them cover with fire and also directed them how to get out. When the Fiji guys were released, they raced to the border with Israel. To get out, so I think that you know the irony of some of these moves in, at the time when uh, they were all dumping on Israel and how quick they are to to attack Israel and criticize Israel. Today, it's the safest place for an Arab in the Middle East. Unbelievable, it's the safest place for a Christian in the Middle East, and in many cases, safest place for a Muslim in the Middle East is Israel. Unbelievable. And let us not forget, again, coming off of yesterday, a lot of people like to criticize. And maybe I'm just getting more mature in my old age. A lot of people like to point to Washington and talk about the differences between the U.S. and Israel, the cooperation that you mentioned in this conversation, whether it's the intelligence images, the satellite photos, uh, the funding, whatever it is, we should continue to remember who our friends are out there, no matter who's in the White House. And we also should not allow the issue of Iran, the very fact that we've had this discussion and I thought myself that we have not really talked about Iran. You asked about Russia. The right. trade minister of Russia was in Iran yesterday and talked about a tenfold increase in trade in the next two years just between Russia and, and Iran, meaning that they go against the sanctions. That the IEA, uh, the, uh, the European Three, rather, are to, to meet with uh, uh, Iran this week, this coming week in Vienna without the U.S. And... Um, and we see the reports that they may be able to join the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. So as much as we're working to try and isolate them, and we saw new sanctions um, that were announced, uh, and by the way, new sanctions against Russia that were announced, which will create even more animosity and more of a reaction by uh, 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 Putin in any area that he feels uh, serves his purpose. He doesn't care. He, he only pursues his... Uh, uh, his own thing. Rahani is going to come to the United States for the UN uh, sessions now, and we're we're going to see what happens, how he's received again, and how he's going to be treated as the quote moderate, though he executes more people. Uh, <laughs> but we're running quickly to the deadline of November 24th. That's and people right. shouldn't lose sight that this still remains a major threat in the area. The big deadlines coming up. Things are getting exciting. Next week, the final weekly update of five seven. Seven four, Mr. Holmline, have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a good time. Uh, 21 minutes after the hour, JM in the AM.